Good morning and welcome to Coffee with the Sarlows. I'm Kelly. Good morning, I'm Karen. This is our last show of 2018 Mm -hmm. and we're following our feel-good December stories. Yeah, I think so. Although I don't think it's going to come off that way at the beginning. Well, neither did Christmas. So we'll try again. Um, First, let's do show notes. So we have our Evening with Medium events coming up on April 26th, August 23rd, and December 13th. Tickets are already on sale for those 2019 events. You can get them at buysarlo.com. Kel, we're already over halfway sold out for the April 26th event. And that isn't even January. That's exciting. Yeah. So thanks to everybody who's buying those tickets. That's great. We announced at Christmas during that show that we are no longer producing the Sips of Sanity series that is available on the website by sarlo.com. But we do want to let people know that the archive will always be there so they can go to the site still and find all kinds of the 10 minute shows that provide emotional and spiritual intelligence toolkits if they would like. We have gift certificates available at any denomination. You can purchase those and receive your treatments from anywhere in the world via Skype, FaceTime, or telephone. We still have coffee mugs available. They're $15 a mug, and you can find those on the website as well by sarlo.com. And onward. Let's finish this year off nicely. Okay. This is a female client that came in to see me, sat down in her chair, Kel, and she just started by saying, Um, I've heard that I can come in and sit down and ask you for an open session. And I'm just giving you one direction. And I said, okay. She said, I would like you just to go back to my childhood and tell me what you see. I encouraged her to record that. So she took out her cell phone and she recorded her session, which boy, did it ever do a good thing for her in the long term. So when someone asks me to go back into their childhood, or you, it takes a few minutes for the spirit guides to, um, I don't know, I want to say, load up the film and be able to play us like a movie so that we can watch things that are pertinent. So I'm not saying what I want to see. I'm just looking out the window to see what they're going to show me. And then in turn, be able to say to her what I see, feel, sense, smell, taste, or no. So I have to use all of the senses when I'm doing this and try and see if anything makes sense. But then if it doesn't, still be able to trust that whatever I give to her, she's somehow going to be able to place, but maybe not. And so I have to have some, some trust that she's going to know what to do with this information. And because she's asked for an open session, I have to trust that she's going to take all that information and either come back and ask me specific questions or be able to go off and do with it what she wants. And at the point, at the beginning of this session, when she asks me, I haven't got a clue what she's going to do with the information. So I did, I watched and I saw two men come forward and tell me that they were her father. But Cal, one of them is a priest. Father's. Yes. Fathers. Okay, I didn't know if I gapped out there for a second. Fathers. And one of them is a priest. So I'm confused. So I said to the spirit world, Jesus, how do I say to this woman that I see two men approaching me both say that they're her father, 
but one of them is a priest. So does that mean that he's father so-and-so? And I can't interpret that. So he says to me, no, no, I'm her biological father. And I said, you're the priest though. And he says, yes, I'm biological father. And the man beside me is her, her dad, meaning he's married to her mother. So I said, okay, does she know this? And he says, no, good luck. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? Good luck. I have to sit here and tell this woman her biological father is a priest. Okay, so we can laugh. Now, we've also said that we don't filter information. That's right. Unless the guides tell us to or the person in front of us says that that's a boundary. So, funny enough, if they're saying good luck, they are saying give her this information. That's right. So, I turned to her and I said, are you open to everything that I could possibly get? And she says, yeah, that's what I'm here for. So I thought, okay, if she's here for this, I'm going to fully trust in this process because boy, could I be putting my foot in a poo-poo pile. But I'm going to go right ahead and give it a shot. So I said to her, I have two people who claim to be father. And she went, go on. And I said, I have a dad who says that he was married to your mother. And she goes, yeah, okay. She goes, what's he look like? And I said, well, he's short, he's stocky, he's got dark brown hair, he's got facial hair, beard, mustache, brown eyes. And I said, he shows me that he works in the bush. And she says, yeah. And I said, like a logger, like literally works in the bush, like every day. And she goes, that's correct. My dad was a logger. And I said, okay. And I said, he says that you're from Quebec. And she goes, yeah. She says, I did. I grew up in Quebec. And I said, he says, it's a very tiny little town and that everybody knew everybody. His name is Jean. And he says, Karen, I know you don't often get names and you're not very good at this. <laughs> but my name is Jean and she's really going to want to know this. And I said, okay. So I said, are you sure it's Jean, not John? And he goes, no, it's Jean, J-E-A-N. I said, okay. Wrote it down on the page, J-E-A-N. And I said, is this your dad's name? And I showed it to her and she says, it is Karen. And I said, okay. And I said, do you wonder about how he treated you? How you were raised in this family? Did you feel a little different than all the other kids? And she goes, yes. I said, is this why you're here? Because you're wondering why your dad, you're wondering why your dad treated you a little bit differently than all of your siblings and she says yes and he shows up in his hands nine kids nine so I said oh okay so I said you're either one of nine or there are nine brothers and sisters but he's showing me a nine and she goes I have nine brothers and sisters I'm the tenth and I said okay I did not get it that way I just saw nine so then he says to me awkwardly that he figured out that his wife wasn't happy and that she was depressed and that more and more she was seeing the priest and more and more the priest was at their house, especially when he was gone. If he was logging and gone for three or four days, that when he came back, people would say things like, oh, I see the priest at your house helping your wife all the time. Isn't that nice? And he's so kind. 
and so many wonderful things about the priest. And that all his other children seem to know the priest better and better and better. And that he's there for dinners, that he's there helping them with their homework in the evening, and that he's really having more and more investment in his particular family's life. So he questions his wife and says, is it just that? And she lies. She says, yes, he's the priest. That's what his job is. And so she constantly tells him that. So he never knows until after he dies, this is her dad, that she had lied to him their whole lives. So he says to his daughter that he knows that he's treated her differently. This is Jean. He said, even though I never was able to prove it, I always felt that you were not my child. And so in some ways, he's able to recognize that he doesn't treat her quite the same. There's a bit of withholding in the relationship and the way that he shows her affection or the way that he pays not as much attention to her or that he can lose his temper quicker with her, but not as much with the other kids. And so as time goes on in life, all of the siblings, as they age, as they go into their 20s and 30s and 40s, they can see that there's a difference in the way that their dad treats her, but doesn't, like, no one really understands it, and no one really questions it. Of course, her mom gets it, and doesn't offer anything. There's a silence there about all of this. So she doesn't understand why she doesn't fit in. This is really the reason that she's came. And this is really the reason why she's asking this question about, can you just go back to my childhood and tell me anything you get? Really translated was, can you explain why I was treated differently by my father to me? And why nobody in my family seemed to understand it, defend it, question him, anything? Why isn't it even discussed or brought up? So there's all of that. That's the beginning. That's the beginning of the session where I learned that I've hit the nail on the head. So I'm spot on. Just meaning when I say I'm spot on, I just mean the guides are spot on. And that of course, they should be. And that I'm just doing the job to say everything they want me to say and using all of the senses possible to say these things to her. So she would say little things to me like, what else do you get about my dad? And I would say, well, like, I can smell cigarette smoke. I can smell cigar. But he says only on occasion. And she says, yeah, that's right. And I said, he liked to hunt. So I see moose everywhere. And she goes, yeah, we ate moose meat all the time. They'd fill up the freezers with moose meat. And I said, okay. So he gave little things like that because she wanted validation that this is dad. He played spoons. I thought that was really cool. He showed me that he'd hit spoons like on his leg. Mm -hmm. I've never seen that or heard that. So I thought that was really, well, personally, I thought that was really fun to be able to hear him um, play spoons in the treatment room. I, like I wish that she could have heard him play the spoons again. And he, like he would do it all on his own and he'd sing. And he would do it also with friends like that would come over and play guitar and they'd all have different things and he didn't know what to play. So he just got out the spoons and he'd clack the spoons around until he got really good with them. And I thought 
how creative that was of him to do something like that. And also unique, and also unique enough that when I said he played spoons on his own and with his friends, that she was able to say, yeah, that's one of my fond memories of my dad. So she's recording this. She's jotting down some notes, her affirmations. And she said, do you think you could go now to talking to the priest that's there? Because I'd like to know more about him. So I said, okay. So he described himself as taller, like he would show himself beside her dad and say he was taller, he was thinner. Um, He was more of a lanky man versus her father. He was clean shaven. He was older than her dad. He was more of a, like, almost like a father figure to her mother. Like, he was quite a bit older. And he said that his name was Dave. So he was Father Dave in the congregation. And I just want to say at this point that I've made that up. I've changed that name. Just because I, if anybody listening to this and puts the name Jean and Dave together, I don't want people listening to this trying to place it in a certain community. So as much as these are facts, I'm going to change those names for those people. So anyway, Father Dave um, approached and he, he said that he wanted to speak to her about what he had done. And I asked her, she wanted to hear it. And she said, yes, that she did. She wanted to understand it. And he said that he had prayed on her mom, that he had watched her mom. I'm going to call her Adele. He had watched Adele go through all of these pregnancies, go through all of these births, go through long periods of time where her husband is gone working in the bush, where she's alone with all of these children, 10 in total. And that he felt sorry for her, that he felt fatherly, but that he was also attracted to her, and that he took advantage, that he set it up, that he convinced her that it would be okay, and that he really manipulated religion, that he manipulated control to have her trust him, right to the point of having sex with him, not once, but many, many, many times for many years. And that any time that she would say something like this is wrong, he would say what he would say in a confession, just tell me your sins. So he would wear, I'm going to have sex with you. I'm going to help you with your family. I'm going to be your priest. I have control over your spiritual life. I have control over your future when you die, because I will forgive your sins. So that no matter what she thought, he had an answer. But it was always an answer that had control over her. So that she had become so dependent on him, that when her husband was gone for short or long periods of time, that she didn't know what she would do or how she would cope with all of these children without him. So it became very confusing in her mind. But once she finally decided this was wrong, somehow, that when she approached him to say, I'm going to tell my husband, he would threaten her. No one will believe you. I'm the priest. Who's going to believe you? No one in this community is going to believe you. I have control over everybody. 
so she didn't do anything. Her mom felt stuck. And at this point, her mom has died as well, so she comes through to her daughter and says, everything he has said is true. He's telling you the truth. I felt stuck. I wanted to be able to tell my husband the truth and felt I couldn't. I felt that he would leave me and leave me with 10 children. That I would not be able to care for financially and feed. I did not know what to do. She felt depressed in it. And because of the depression in it, it eroded at their marriage. But her mom came through to say to her how much she loved her and that she knew that her dad had that feeling that something was wrong and that this last child, her, was not his child and that she knew that he'd figured it out and that she had lied and that he was basically staying, saying, I know you're lying, but I also know the type of situation that you're in. So the two of us are going to do the best to stay together and raise our children. And so even though there was a bit of a difference, she tried to make it up to her daughter. Her shame, her guilt, but she also said to her daughter, but just truly that you are a lovely person, you were a lovely child and worthy of being loved. And that I thought that I had made the best decision and so did your dad. We thought we had made the best decision to stay and to try and be friends and raise our children. So they didn't hate each other. They didn't punish each other. They did the best that they could together. And I thought that was incredible, Kelly. Remember I said at the beginning, this is going to be, it's going to be another uplifting story, but I think it's, it's also a very sad one. But you're hearing, or what I understood from all of them, when they crossed over, was how they tried to make the best of it. Mm -hmm. Father Dave didn't. He didn't until he died. He came through to tell her how sorry he was, but also that he had done this to other women. It wasn't just her mother. Right. That he had done it to other women in that parish, and not just that parish, but in different ones that he had been sent to his entire life. And that he had many children with many married women, never a single woman. Hmm. He picked married women that were exactly like her, where their husbands were busy, hardworking, gone, trying to work hard for the family to make a living to support all of these children so they were not always around. He took advantage of all of these women because they were lonely and needed help and companionship. And he did it countless times. So he had children all over the place. But what he was trying to do now in the spirit world was he was trying to come through when he had an opportunity like this to be able to say, it is me. I am your father. I am not running and hiding because when you cross over, you can't run and hide anymore. So he was trying to come through and say he was now sorry. He did express, though, that he never got to sorry as a human being. He only got there once he passed over. Once he realized what he had done and how in doing this to so many people and all of these children never really knowing who their fathers were in these small communities, how he had created 
a much larger problem. Because some of these half-brothers and half-sisters married each other. Of course. Thinking that they were completely from separate families. Within the small communities? Yes. Yeah. So she asked me. She said, well, then do I ask the question about my own husband? Mm -hmm. She said, I'm sitting here. What do I do now? And I said to her, you need to take your time. Not today. Just process. I said, not today. Yeah. You go home and you think about this. You've been with your husband already for over 35 years. Do you really want to know that? Does it matter? You have your own children now. And she said, that's right, I do. And I said, and as far as I can see from the spirit guides, you've got grandchildren. Does it matter? Do you want to know this? And she said, I'm going to go and I'm going to think about it. And I said, maybe talk to your husband about it too, so that you don't come wanting to know and then learn information that you're going to withhold from him. If you have a relationship where you don't withhold information from each other. And she said, I like that idea. So she went off with that information to do with it as she chose. And I'm glad, Kelly, to say in this podcast today for people to hear how much control clients have in those sessions. Yeah, that's important for your safety. Yeah. Your emotional safety. Yeah. And that people can sit back and go, oh, okay, good. That's, there's a good point. She gets to pause. She gets to think. She's allowed to have those choices. So she came to figure things out and she sure got her answer. Sometimes I wonder, you know, when she's having her moments, if she feels anger or if she feels more compassion and love for her dad now. Well, maybe her mom as well. If they've gone through years of fighting or being at odds with each other for whatever reason, can she understand where her mom's pain or shame or guilt has come out? Mm-hmm. Where it maybe you didn't have anywhere else to go? Mm-hmm. Can you connect to your mom as an adult child, as two adults who have maybe been stuck or felt stuck in your life, where maybe you still hold your mom on a pedestal and think she should have done a better job? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we went on a little bit in that session talking about other things. She switched it and started talking about grandkids and stuff. And then at the end, she came back to it and said to me, can you tell my mom I, that I love her? And I said, yeah. And I said, what else do you want to say to her? And she says, well, she says, I think I just understand how she could feel. And I said, that's good that you know that. And she says, it makes me appreciate the tough times with my own husband now. Because if I hadn't had those tough times, I might not understand how my mom could turn to someone else. I I don't mean to laugh. I'm just trying to summarize the podcast in my head because I know we're going to sign off soon. So we're recapping that the happy feeling or the happy December story was about compassion. Yeah. Was about love. Yeah. And about being able to overcome your own shame and guilt. Yeah. Okay. And and like, here's her dad coming through to say, I treated you differently because I knew something, but I, but I chose to stay and I did my best. 
Mm-hmm. I still did treat you differently and I know it and I'm sorry, but I still did do my best. Okay. So also some personal responsibility. Yeah. I think he did a great job. Oh, I do too. I just, if I'm listening to your story, then I might be sitting there thinking if I'm of a different generation that, oh my God, maybe this has happened to one of my family members. Maybe this is something that's still a possibility. I don't know. There can be a fear-based listening. But if you can kind of hit pause, rewind, listen to it a couple more times and hear the message that if this is a possibility or a reality in your world, these things can come out of it, then there can be a breath. Mm-hmm. There can be a knowing that, you know, your world will go forward. I would like to continue this too before we do end the podcast, Kelly, and that this lady took all of her information and went home that day and just said, thanks for the information and came back four years later to tell me that she had gone back to that little community in Quebec and found out that in fact, all of that was accurate. Found out because her mom's past, she found out from an aunt Mm -hmm. that the whole thing was true. She approached an aunt personally. She waited to go back and said, can you verify this? I went to a psychic medium in North Bay. This is what she said. My true father, my biological father is Father Dave. And she said, that's correct, sweetheart. Mm. And she said, but she's telling me that this priest did this to several women in the community. And she said, yes, that's right. Wow. So there was a way for her to validate all of that. So when she came back to see me for her second visit, she came in and said, I don't think you're ever going to remember me. I came four years ago. You told me my dad was a priest and so on, biological. And she says, I came back uh, partly because I wanted to tell you that I did find out that all of that is true. Oh, that just means the world to us. Oh, yeah. Because that is not fun information. It's, it just goes right back to when he said, good luck. And yeah. you sit there with sheer panic, like, oh, my God, do I actually open up my mouth and say this? Well, yes, because that's where some people could say, oh, Karen and Kelly Sarlo, bunch of liars, two liars. Or, or they Crazy make... Crazy imaginations. Yeah, they just make shit up. And But you have these clients that come back and say... You told me some crazy shit and all of that crazy shit was true. It can take time for it to come. And over that period of time, I don't, I don't remember. So she comes in and says, yes, it is. And this is what you said to me. And I just have to sit and listen to her. I have to trust what she tells me. Mm -hmm. And I say that I have to trust it because I haven't got a clue. So she came back and said, I wanted to say that it was correct. And now I'm here to ask you more information about my de- my biological father, Father Dave, because I need to know some medical information because I don't have any medical on him and I'm going through some things right now. Right. And I need to know about his biology. So then I was like, okay, now she has a foundation of trust in me to be able to go to the next step and say, oh, you're wondering about a heart condition. And she was like, yes. And I said about a valve, you're wondering if certain things about the heart you may have in common with his. And she said, that's right. And she does. So she's trying to figure out who she is biologically. Good for her. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. That's why it's brave. It is. And that's why I still think that this is one of our heartwarming stories. 
for the month of December because you hear that these are the things that happened in the past. Not all bad, not all good, right? But I think it's pretty inspiring to hear of this woman who just wants to sit down and know the truth and take it from there, which is exactly what she did. That's strength to me. I'm happy for both of you. Mm-hmm. And I felt privileged. I felt so, so honored to be able to give her all of those truths so that she can place her dad's feelings. She can place why this priest was part of their life. They have the truth about everything now. She has a different level of compassion for her mom and dad and maybe for her own marriage. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, if you guys have questions or comments about today's show, you can email us at info at Have a safe and happy new year. Happy new year, everyone.